0: Hello, and welcome to episode number 27 of The Music Plays the Band on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Rob Koritz of the Dark Star Orchestra. I hope you're all safe and well. Well, a Happy New Year to you all, and it has certainly been an interesting start, to say the least. As we've taken a step back with this whole Omicron thing, a lot has changed. Uh, For DSO and many other bands, it meant a lot of tough decisions, which included canceling our New Year's run. Uh, We were scheduled for four shows in New York and after much debate, we decided it was best to cancel. You know, we really wrestled with the decision for so many reasons. Some were musical, some were financial, some were dealing with social responsibilities, but in the end, I know we made the right choice, as difficult as it was. Uh, After that came our Jamaican Jam in the Sand, and here, again, we were met with many of the same issues, but in the end, we decided to go on with the show, and I'm happy to report that it went amazingly well. And I need to give a shout out to our partners at Island Gigs, the amazing folks at Jewel Paradise Cove, and really all the citizens of Jamaica that we encountered for taking it all so seriously, and they had protocols and practices in place that made it all as safe as possible while still being able to have a great event. So I just got back from Jamaica. My luggage was lost, which included my microphones, which I now have. So I'm kind of scrambling to get this episode to air. I was able to get two really great conversations recorded while we were down there. And today I'm happy to bring you one of them with guitarist Dan Lebowitz. Lebo is an amazing talent, a super guy as well. We'd only met in passing before. He had been in Jamaica with Ock's band a few years ago, but really didn't get to spend much time. This time around we spent a lot of time together, both on and off stage, and really hit it off. Uh, This is a lengthy conversation, so it's going to be the only one on today's episode. So let's not waste any time, and let's get started with the program. Black Music Moment is brought to you by The Queen Store, brandingandapparel.com for all your branding and apparel needs. Technology-driven solutions and concierge service for managing programs of all sizes. The Black Music Moment is our attempt at chronicling the profound influence of black music and musicians on the Grateful Dead, and today we honor Robert Johnson. Robert Johnson had little commercial success, but today is very well known and considered the master of the Delta Blues. Much of his life is a mystery, and its history contains numerous conflicting reports. Robert Johnson was born in Hazlehurst, Mississippi, possibly on May 8, 1911. He spent the majority of his childhood in Memphis, where he attended a school for colored boys. It was in Memphis that he acquired his love for and knowledge of the blues and popular music. His education in urban childhood placed him apart from most of his contemporary blues musicians, who came from the cotton fields or the country and were mainly uneducated. He started out as a proficient harmonica player, but a pretty poor guitarist. He moved to Robbinsville, Tennessee, and improved his playing by emulating another Robbinsville resident, the famous guitarist, Son House. There's also the Devil Legend that attributes to his guitar playing. As a young man living on a plantation in rural Mississippi, Johnson had a tremendous desire to become a great blues musician. One of the legends often told says that Johnson was instructed to take his guitar to the crossroads at midnight. There he was met by a large black man, the Devil, who took the guitar and tuned it. The Devil played a few songs and then returned the guitar to Johnson, giving him mastery of the instrument. In exchange for his soul, Johnson was able to create the blues for which he became famous. There's many different versions of this legend, and it's been researched and documented in many different ways, including with song. He married Coletta Kraft in 1931, and in 1932, the couple settled for a while in Clarksdale, Mississippi, but Johnson soon left for a career as an itinerant or walking musician. From 1932 until his death, Johnson moved frequently between the cities of Memphis and Helena and the smaller towns of the Mississippi Delta and neighboring regions, including Mississippi and Arkansas. On occasion, he traveled much further to places such as Chicago, Texas, New York, Canada, Kentucky, Indiana, and right here to St. Louis. He often used a different name in each town, so he was known as a different musician, so he didn't really gain that widespread popularity. Johnson's entire recorded discography only contains 29 songs that, according to sources, were recorded over two sessions in Texas in 1936 and 1937. Johnson did two takes of most of these songs, and believe it or not, most of these recordings survived. Because of this, there's more opportunity to compare different performances of a single song by Johnson than for any other blues performer of his time and place. Johnson died in 1938 at the young age of 27 in Greenwood, Mississippi, and again there are conflicting reports surrounding it. His death was not reported publicly, and it wasn't until 30 years later that his death certificate was even discovered. It gave no cause, but legend has it he was poisoned by a jealous man for moving in on his woman. The exact location of Johnson's grave is officially unknown. Three different markers have been erected at possible sites near cemeteries around Greenwood. One of the 29 songs recorded by Johnson was Walking Blues. The Dead played it one time in 1966, which I did not know, and Bob Weir and his love for the blues tunes brought it into the rotation in 1982. It was played sporadically at first, but it became a constant in 87, and was pretty much played regularly in the first set all the way until the last tour in 95. Now, The Dead's interpretation is really a full band representation of the original solo version, and when you listen to the guitar part here, you can really hear where Bob Weir was coming from on this. He emulated it almost to a T. So here is Robert Johnson and his 1937 recording of Walking Blues. I woke up
2: this morning, year round for my shoes. Everybody got to oh, walk, walk walking do. Woke up this morning, year round for my shoes. You know, about it, I did a walking move. Oh, no, I feel like blowing my world the more. Got up this morning, my little boy. He's what's gone. on. I feel like.
0: If you like what you're hearing today, please consider supporting the podcast with a contribution. We have two ways for you to do this. You can become a patron with a monthly subscription for as little as $5 a month. That includes expanded video versions of our segments, all of the outtakes that don't make it onto the podcast, videos from home and on the road, including some pretty cool footage from Jamaica right now, and much, much more. You can also make a one-time contribution via PayPal, and part of every contribution goes to the Rex Foundation. You can do this and learn more about the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. And if you have the time, please like, rate, and review the podcast on whatever podcast player you might use. Thank you for your continued support and for helping spread the word about the show. Our feature conversation is brought to you by Grateful Sweats. Grateful Sweats' subtle song designs will strike a chord for heads who get it. Search Grateful Sweats on Etsy for a wide selection of cold weather gear like hoodies, beanies, and of course sweatpants, as well as other grateful goodies with more than 30 designs like Tennessee Jed, Women Are Smarter, and my personal favorite, The Eyes of the World. Visit etsy.com slash shop slash or get there from the sponsors page at our website. And right now, use the code TheMusicPlays to save 10% and receive a free pin. And don't miss the clearance section with up to 80% off. So as soon as you're done listening here, head on over to Grateful Sweats. So my guest today is Bay Area guitarist Dan Lebowitz, widely known out there simply as Lebo. Like I said earlier, we did this in Jamaica, and it was so cool on many, many levels. This was really the first time I had my feature conversation in person, and it went deep not only into the dead, but how emotion and spirituality play such a big role in performing and listening to music. We found out we have a lot in common, and similar musical tastes and approaches as well. And I gotta be honest, the weather didn't hurt either, so here you go, On the Beach with Lebo. Alright, good morning, hello, hey there, I am sitting here with Dan Lebowitz, Lebo, good morning. Good morning, good to see you. Good to see you, and it's we got a great spot here, we are, we are in Jamaica, folks, uh, we're sitting in a tent, no sun shining on us, but we can kind of see the beach, so... If you hear some waves and some wind and some reggae music in the background, you'll know why. Yeah, it's all, um, all appropriate. <laughs> yeah, man, totally. Thank you for taking the time on your
1: work and vacation. Hell yeah, it's psyched like to be here. It's good to talk to you.
0: So this is here. You're here with a band that's just getting started.
1: It's, exactly.
0: It's trio, tell us a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so it's called the Fog City Holdouts. And the way it started actually is that Bo Harper from New Monsoon and I, uh, we've been doing duo stuff on the side for 20-some years. Wow. Um, he's from the band new monsoon right and so basically we we teamed up with scott law who you probably know yep um some years back and we uh ended up and again it was another kind of thing like this where it wasn't really a planned band it was something that like happened at a festival and we we had this band called one big guitar and we did a bunch of Rex benefit shows um so when cameron who works on all this was uh putting this together he he reached out about that and scott couldn't do it um do this this week, but we had actually been doing a bunch of stuff with Nat during the pandemic, right? Because which this is what I'm getting to is the name, the Fog City Holdouts is like we're three three of our musician crew friends who live in in San Francisco proper, right? In the city limits, and we're some of the last holdouts because most everyone we know either moved to the East Bay or to Marin, which is all close. It's all yeah, the same place. But, you but a
0: drummer though. Lane is still in. Yeah,
1: south. he is. So he lives really near me. And Comentu so still in the city yep, too. Is, yeah, is. Yeah, he's just uh Yeah, we we got a few left. But it's funny, you know. City life's like that. Like, you know, in your twenties, everyone lives right in the city, and then right. people kind of like move over the bridges, and it's cool. There's yeah, nothing wrong with that.
0: Well, especially with kids. But you have kids. And I got you, and kids, and, and we, yeah, I got
1: one kid, and it's been it's been groovy. You know, um, it works well for us. Um, I actually, my folks live in San Francisco, so especially with the kid thing, I'm uh, I'm. I I don't uh, what's the word I'm looking for I don't take that for granted right I know what a blessing that is because because I grew up on the west coast all my family was from the northeast so I grew up seeing my extended family maybe once every year or two wow um so so I know you know whenever my parents went out they needed a babysitter and all that kind of stuff you know but uh but now i have it so good i feel like cuz my folks live in san francisco so like right now i'm on tour and my daughter's just staying at my parents house I hear for you, a man. week and they love it <laughs> they, my, they're like chomping at the bit together so
0: my parents live 2 miles from us yeah
1: and i'm here my wife's working and mm-hmm. grandma's
0: picking the kids up at school yeah. it right?
1: it makes the musician the crazy musician wacky schedule life like it's it's a totally it's yes. not it's not that it's not doable without of course plenty of people do it um, true but but it it's sure makes easier, it a lot man. easier yeah it so makes thanks it, moms and dads out yeah there big time us.
0: so you grew up in California yep. you're still living in California yep. can you tell us a little about your musical journey how you got started
1: playing music yeah yeah how did, yeah. How did, how did happen? I was copying my older brother like a lot of young brothers do um, I had an older brother and uh, I have an older brother sorry <laughs> we grew up together <laughs> and um, and he was super into music he loved like the Beatles and um he just loved music so you know my first uh, musical experiences were taking the tennis rackets out of the closet you know making I remember we had this little like chalkboard and we it was rectangular but we thought was the closest thing we could get to the uh uh, bass drum head to like put a band (laughs) name or something you know so we would like the name of the band it was the grasshoppers (laughs) perfect <laughs> yeah it was the beatles you know we were right. stopping them. <laughs> We didn't know any better <laughs> but uh but that, i mean that was like really i just kind of looked up to him and then he when he when he got a little older you know in his young teen years started playing bass and hanging with musician friends so i would just kind of hang out with him and then shortly after that actually i met uh zach gill and steve adams who i played with in alo uh we met when we were about 12 years old Oh, really? Yeah. And we just, we were, I remember it really well. We were all hanging out. We had some mutual friends. We were all from different elementary schools. And at that point, we were in seventh grade. So we moved to the junior high. And we were all hanging out and connecting and hanging with friends and stuff. And, and then uh, we were all kind of the ones who were most into music. And suddenly we were like, oh, let's, let's, let's try starting a band. And Zach played some piano, you know, he'd take piano. lessons. I actually had a guitar. Um, and I was like, I'll go, I'll go, I should back up in fifth grade because of my whole thing with my brother, I was like, really want to play guitar. And I went and got some guitar lessons. Found a guitar, like, at the local little- it was Acoustic? Like a, yeah, no, it was, a, it was an electric. It was like a knockoff Les Paul. Okay. Like, barely stayed in tune. <laughs> it was like a fake. <laughs> but uh, I did the job for starting out. And um, yeah, basically, I, I, you know, I loved music at that point, that was in fifth grade, but I didn't have any friends who played music with me and my junior high brother didn't much want his fifth grade, you know, brother right. hanging out, trying to play music with him and his friends. Is this good? Okay, cool. So, you know, so so I kind of played a little bit, but I kind of dropped it just because I didn't have like much, it was like a separate thing, you know, I'd go take my lessons and be into my music and I could play alone, but it wasn't connected to anything. So. So this is where I fast forward to seventh grade when I met those guys and it was like, oh, we all love music. And then it, it was like, I just never put it down after that. It became like everything for us. It was like our social hang. It was what I was like passionate about. So it was, I checked all the boxes for so me. So just you know? your basic starting stuff was all you studied with someone. The rest you did on your own? Yeah. Wh- what do you mean? Like, like oh, learning no. Fingerings so then and in, in seventh grade, then I was like, we're going to start our band. And so I was like, well, I better go like Learn how to learn play the guitar. Stuff. Yeah, so I went back to that same little shop, got Got a few lessons with someone, and kind of stuck with them for a little while. But really, where I did the most was, like, we just would, after school every day, like, grab our guitars and go.
0: Who were your influences at that point? What at are you listening point, to? At that
1: point, what I was really into was still the Beatles, uh, a lot of, like, British Invasion stuff. The Who was kind of, like, my favorite band yeah. at that point in seventh grade. Um, Yeah, like, a lot of that kind of stuff, I'd say, was kind of the top stuff. And, and I kind of remember, too, because... Um it was right when uh, like, you know, remember a disc man? yeah, sure like the portable yeah. CD player. those were kind of a newish thing still. And I remember uh, I had my bar with and I was like that was like my big thing I got was like a disc man. <laughs> it was like so I remember buying CDs and prior to that had been all cassettes. So I totally remember going down and getting getting Tommy by the hoop. and and buying all the Beatles CDs and and just and and back then it was so cool I'm sure you've talked about this at other times on your podcast the whole music listening thing was so different back then because you would go out and spend 12 bucks or 11 bucks on a CD you were going to listen to that CD for a couple weeks even if it didn't hit you right at first you were like well, I got no more money for right. for another one. So like, and so, and you're I, gonna read every word in the liner yeah, notes too, man. Totally, you really spend time with whatever you get. So that I feel like the music of that time of our lives, we like, we have such a connection to it because it's just we spent so much time with it. Do
0: you remember? I'm a couple years older than you. The Columbia Record House Club, where mm-hmm. you'd send a penny and mm-hmm. you'd get sixteen. Totally. And then you'd have to buy one each month. Yeah, and if you didn't totally. send back the card it yeah. says you don't want it, they yeah, yeah, send stay on it charge you twenty seven dollars <laughs> for the next album that came. <laughs> I did that they shit so many back. times. Yeah. But that's how I learned all these different styles yeah, of music. Totally. Just sucking it up like that. And they yeah. don't get to do that
1: anymore. Exactly. I know, because now it's all like you're just give it a give it a listen for thirty seconds then oh, I'll go on to the yeah. next thing. And you don't read yeah
0: who the players i know are, i know who wrote
1: it i know. miss those elements for sure it's such a different yeah. learning experience yeah with music so but i i'll just to elaborate one last thing on that then meeting those guys was was really i felt like it was really lucky for me because because part of what it was too was i wonder if you can relate but like around when you're when you're that age like 13 years old i feel like that's sort of you know there's a lot of like changes going on in you and like prior to that you know like the kid mindset you're just there you're just I don't want to say you're self-centered but you you don't you know you just all you have is your own perspective and i feel like that age that kind of young teenage is where you start realizing like oh we're all individuals here and like what am i you know and for me like finding that music thing it saved me not that anything was going terribly bad but i definitely remember kind of heading into that being like well who am i you know like "I'm, i'm good at school like it's cool but i'm not like i don't like love it you know right you know sports were cool like i could i could do them but i wasn't you know like love it and like finding music it was like just as much as the music itself it was like an identity for me i feel like that i could really like wrap myself around right like it was so grounding for me
0: so are you like at that time you know you're hanging out with zach and and getting the band your first
1: band and Mm -hmm. all that the rest of the time are you holed up in your room i did a lot of practicing yeah i just loved it it was like i'd come home after school and if we weren't you know getting together with the guys i'd Go to my room and practice. I mean, I hung out with people too. We, you know, yeah. I was definitely into like hanging and having fun. But, but I played every day. Yeah, I loved I mean, it.
0: That's. I would come home and do my homework as quick as I could. Yeah. And then go downstairs and pop in whatever came from the Columbia record. Club yeah, there week, you go.
1: Put on my headphones yeah. and play along. Oh my, God. that that I would say too is a thing that, I I always tell people when they, when they want to like learn about playing. I always it's a funny thing because it's something we do when we're young a lot, especially, and then we kind of forget about it as we come become professional musicians and we're like doing all this you know quote unquote professional music but man the power of just like when people are trying to learn just like just put on an album you like and play along like just relax Mm -hmm. because it's really important I think a lot of people especially when adults start learning instruments they get really focused on the way adult life is Now, okay I'm gonna sit here and learn this little thing and I'm gonna learn this little thing but they never actually play right they just spend all their time learning bits and bits and bits and bits but you got to just play because that's ultimately what, what you want to do, right? Of
0: course, it also doing that ingrains it in your soul. Learning yeah. this
1: device and learning how to
0: do this, yeah. and learning how to do that, is like a checklist.
1: Yeah, and they're all parts that help it. But yeah, but if you do, but it's a whole other thing to just you immerse yourself, yeah into to get it. in the mindset yeah, of I mean, like flow. Sure.
0: So I mean, you're in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. You're a teenager. Is the dead even on
1: your radar? I mean, you have to know, know of them, don't you? Yeah. So that's funny. So I was in. I grew up in, in a in a town called Saratoga, California, which is in the South Bay. It's kind of like in between Santa Cruz and San Jose, okay. inland side of the Santa Cruz mountains. Um, um, and yeah, so, so going from there, right. I was in all those British invasion bands. And then of course I would started playing guitar and, and someone played me like a Van Halen record and I kind of was like, wow, what's this? So, so I definitely got into like the rock stuff for a little while. Right. And the dead was interesting then. I, I think, it wasn't too long after that that I went to my first Dead show, but it's funny how I went. So uh, my dad is like a, a huge Dylan fan. He's always been like a huge Dylan fan. I saw him a ton when he was, you know, in the 60s in New York and right. everything like that. And um, so when the Dylan and the Dead tour happened, right. my dad was like, oh, I'm definitely going to that. He, he liked the Dead, but it wasn't like his, you know, his favorite band. But he had definitely had some records. Like I remember Europe 72, that album cover, I remember being very young like you know earliest it. memories like you know just thumbing through your parents albums and that you know with all the pictures and mm-hmm. the ice cream thing let's like go with really, the ice cream cone. yeah i could stare at that <laughs> for a long time I was like, what's going on here <laughs> um but but so the tour came and him and his friends went and they had like a ball so then when they came back to shoreline the next year you know just as the grateful dead he was like oh let's the whole family let's go and i didn't really know like i'd, I'd heard truck and i remember trucking because my dad liked that song um, and some other ones from, from those couple records he had. But, you know, it wasn't like a main thing. But right. going to that show was really eye-opening. And But interestingly, it was it was actually like my dad's music. It wasn't my music. It was right. my dad's music. But, you know, our family was close. And, and the thing that struck me at the show, the first show I went to, was way more than the music was just the whole thing. You know what I mean? Like, it blew my mind. It was just so... It was like the coolest circus i'd ever been to you know <laughs> so that's what initially grabbed that's you, what the grabbed the me but then the i didn't necessarily go deep at that point i kind of stayed with my music i got real into blues at that point, and jazz i kind of got real excited about jazz music and and a lot of like early electric blues and stuff and um but the dead was something i, I appreciated and and i would kind of like go our family would go every summer we would yep. like go to shrine so i like went. that's pretty cool yeah it was kind of like family at it. and then i uh, after that you know we were getting ready to go to go to college or do something after high school right and and uh the guys in alo zach and steve and our drummer at the time um we uh uc santa barbara was the one place we all got into so we were like we want to keep our band together banana slugs that's santa cruz that's santa Cruz. yeah santa barbara's uh gauchos right 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 although they don't have like a football team or anything so hardly anyone knows their their mascot (laughs) but but um Yeah, I went down there and and just continued on with music. And and again, always hung out with Deadheads and liked The Dead, but it wasn't, like I said, I was kind of more on this kind of I was really into like Miles and Coltrane and like the blues stuff and, you know, rock and roll. So The Dead's just another music. It was just another music I listened to. Yeah, it wasn't like a main thing. And it really wasn't until after I moved back to the Bay after school. um, Actually, it's almost like, it's almost like, like I realized it's kind of like when the whole like kind of terrapin and modern Sweetwater scene started it was it's an interesting thing i feel like for me because i i liked dead music um and it's almost like for like what i do as a musician it fits really well into that you know so when the terrapin thing started happening I, i started you know i knew some guys playing there so i started playing there and then and then ended up on a gig with Phil, and that went well, and then that just kind of s- snowballed into stuff, but it's funny, on the first gig I did with Phil, I only knew a few Grateful Dead tunes at that point. I was definitely cramming, like like I got the set list the night before, and I was like, okay, I know these tunes, uh, these tunes I've heard, yeah, I made three piles, Okay, I, I know these tunes, it was only a couple, and then I was like, this is a chunk of tunes I've heard, You know put trucking in there stuff like that okay and then this is a chunk of tunes i've never even heard of before i I gotta get i gotta get to work so i started at pile pile three and worked my way back to to the other way
0: that's crazy though that growing up out there in that environment yeah
1: that and being a musician you weren't that immersed in it until you actually started it wasn't until that yeah but this but here's the funny thing i think it almost comes full circle because a big subject that we've had over the past couple years i think has been like uh culture you know and uh uh how do i say it i, I think in a way it got me thinking about a lot with the the black lives matter movement and with, when all the george floyd stuff happened and everything and we started looking a lot about like what's our what's your authentic culture and the truth is is like that grateful dead culture like you can't get more authentic for me in a way because i'm like from the Bay Area, I'm into blues and Americana music and jazz music. You know what I mean? It's like it actually like it made so much sense. Once I found it, I just didn't know these songs yet really. But the actual aesthetic and the sort of the whole thing is it actually gives me the chills to talk about because it it's it's it was like finding a home. Right. In a oh, really man. weird way. You know what I mean? Like it was like, oh this is actually what I've been doing the whole time. Sure. It's just if you if you
0: put that on a line, yeah. Everything you were doing, what the dead does came. Yeah, from, from everything safeties, you were and already And it was actually
1: doing. the same air and the same angle of the sun, because it was it was right. all the Bay Area, you know. And that was really cool to
0: me last night when you guys mm-hmm. were on stage, talking about, hey, the music we're playing for you guys right now, it's, you know, Reverend Gary Davis mm-hmm. and, and Doc Watson, and it's the music from the edges yeah. of where Jerry and the Dead... If they yeah. were the center of the circle. Totally, yep. This yeah. was the stuff on the edges that got them there. Yeah,
1: totally. I think they really appreciated hearing yeah, that's, that's cool. what you were doing. I really liked that. Yeah, so then it's it really does come full circle because now I like... Now I know them all whenever, you know, because I, I, you know, whenever I'm hearing Grateful Dead Music, I've, okay, i played that song. You know what I mean? Right. It's like come full circle over a couple of years and I've really... Do you love the music? Like, Why, a that's lot.
0: that's my next question. So, what as you start really, even though you're a grown-up, when <laughs> it happens, as you start really immersing yourself into this music and listening to it,
1: what is it that grabbed you about it? Is you it know, just because of the lineage of everything that you were already into? I think that my favorite aspect of it, because there's so many aspects of it, right? Um, we're gonna talk about them all. Yeah, great. I'll do. I'll talk all day <laughs> long. Time. My favorite aspect, though, and I, I've come to this a lot, is that, that my favorite thing. I'd almost call it like the singularity of it. Is that okay like it's like we were saying it's it's along the path of all these things I'm interested in, but they there the singularity of it it's like nothing else you know what i mean yeah and i'm so uh uh i don't know I think i'm just like it, it's so compelling to me, you know like the the way the way they all like I mean, and you know this more than anyone, the way they sound, they just each created a sound. Yeah. Like, nobody plays guitar like Jerry Ives, like, Nobody plays bass like Phil. I mean, that I was talking to someone about it the other night, actually. It's just like, wow, like, the context for Phil to have been able to do what he did is so amazing. Because I feel like in most bands, to be honest, people would have been like, "Well, you're not playing the bass line. Right. Like, you're a bass player, we need a bass line. But in that context, they were just such free thinkers. That he was able to just do something completely different than any other bass player, and it was all accepted. And then Jerry starts the way he plays, like his low stuff, he's like covering a lot of that bass stuff. And so it's just this whole like reinterpretation of music. And I just find it so interesting.
0: I think you hit, you said free thinkers. That's a huge
1: part of it. I think another big part of it is
0: every single one of those guys. Came from a different musical background, right? With different musical influences yeah. that formed them, yeah. So you know, I mean, Phil's Phil classical trumpet player, yeah, totally, you know, totally, and totally a bluegrass player, yeah. You know, and, and Minky's a military drummer, yeah, really. You know, so now you put all of these disparate styles together,
1: yeah. And it
0: makes that so you're starting to really listen to it now. Yes. At this point, and really immerse yourself. What kind of effect, if any, did that have on your playing style?
1: Oh, huge. I mean, it, again, like I said, I felt like it. It felt like It it felt strangely familiar, anyhow, because, like I was saying, the aesthetic was something I was all... You know, just the kind of approach was already something I was into. Um, But... It's hard to put into words, really. You know, like, what effect it had on me. I think... I think... God, that's actually funny. That should be an easy question. But, like, the actual effect... I mean... It was... Okay, how about this? There's an element that's very liberating, because especially the scene... One of the things I love about this scene is that they're so uh, into risk-taking. And that's, again, kind of going along with those things I was talking about. That's like one of those things that I've always loved in music. Great. And not all scenes are like that. Most scenes aren't. Very, Most scenes, they true. want you to play the song. You know? <laughs> but 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 I, f- I feel like it kind of was like almost like a licensed... Licensed to experiment you know in a way yeah. right you know like to feel it's awesome I want to do but it's it's as far as the scene goes I haven't found a scene that's more comfortable with that and to me that's so inspiring because right. I don't want to play the same shit all the time I, I noticed you know? that
0: watching you for the last couple nights and I don't know if this is something you might have taken by hearing it when you solo you're playing so much from the melody yeah i that care a, a lot about thing. that yeah totally such a jerry thing that yeah not trying to throw in all these notes and all these runs yeah but just working with the melody
1: i i love that that's kind of my favorite my favorite things kind of in music with guitar a lot of times they they revolve around like melody and tone and everything else is cool and i love stretching harmony and all that kind of stuff and i and it actually when i'm practicing i spend a lot of my time on that but my sort of when we were talking about earlier the whole going back to like playing with records, yeah. and just your what what your your personal musical flow flow is. For me, the melody stuff is my favorite, like, because I like long arcs actually, and that's maybe another thing that's awesome in the Dead that you don't get in a lot of scenes is this long arc to improvisations, yeah, where you can really like work with a theme and kind of like work it and leave Simmer. it and come back to it and like yeah like and all that's kind of like melody and rhythm right it's like it's like motifs and right you know and i'm and i love like short you know eight measure solos in a Bakersfield country song too i love that but it's like honestly my heart really really soars when you got like some time to like make a statement and and develop something Jerry Bobby
0: two completely different guitar players. Yeah two completely different guitar players is there whether it's spiritual or technical, is there something that you can take differently from each
1: of them that, that yeah. really empowers you or strikes you? Yeah, I mean, I, if oddly, like, the, the thing, maybe come back to what we were talking about a second ago, the thing that, that the, the, the top thing I take from either one of them is, like, again, they're, like, singularity. Like, like my God, you, you, either one of them, you hear one, like, like, Bobby, especially for a rhythm guitar player, that is so rare that you hear one little cring and you're like no it's him you know it's like it's a genre unto itself you know i love that you know yeah each one of them are a genre right and it's like i guess maybe that's the thing that i love and and then so cool that like like you hear it all over the world now too it's like each, each one of these individual genres make up their own giant genre you i mean
0: you play pretty much at least now and i don't know about all your time coming up, but now you're primarily, it's exclusively acoustic guitar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the things that, I guess it, the technical stuff, does that transfer over for you? To yeah. an acoustic
1: guitar, or do you have to approach it differently than yeah. they would have on an electric? Yeah. So the trip with my guitar is, it's interesting. I like it. I actually, yeah, a lot of people start on acoustic and then move to electric. Mm-hmm. I started on electric, right? That was exactly. ball copy. And then off all, all through like, junior high high school and earlier i didn't really even get a, a an acoustic guitar till like the very end of high school i'd already been playing a while and it was a real side thing for me it was just because it was just so i could you know jam out at campfire so it wasn't like like i was an electric guitar but that's what i identified with and kind of where my passion was um but the way this thing evolved it's interesting i don't um it's I'm actually, I'm going for pretty electric tones with it. Like, I'm not going for an acoustic tone. I just really love how this guitar feels. And without telling, like, too long of a story on it, it sort of evolved for me. Like, so like I was saying, I was always an electric player. The ALO guys, you know, when we we finished school down in Santa Barbara, we knew we wanted to move back to the Bay Area because the music scene was was pretty happening there and it's where we're from and we were drawn, right. you know, so, so we moved back. And uh, basically, we... we our dr- we split with our drummer at that point because he was down. He was actually the uh, the jazz band uh, teacher oh, at really UCSB, huh? so he wasn't leaving his good job there. <laughs> we were a bunch of like young <laughs> students just graduate. We we're like, let's go do something crazy. You know? Sorry, I'm on faculty. I'm staying. here. Yeah, no, he had a good and he was great. We learned a lot from him. Actually, it was great learning experience being in a band with him. But we move up to the Bay and we didn't have a drummer. And we were, you know, we were just hungry. and We just start booking gigs. We're like we'll get a drummer. <laughs> So suddenly we have some gigs, you know, none of these are fancy gigs or anything, we're just getting started out essentially, you know, um, up there. And uh, so we end up, the gigs come around, we don't have a drummer yet, so we're like, okay, we'll just kind of do them acoustics, so, but as typically happens with acoustic gigs, especially when you're young and you don't have good sound gear, you're just kind of like plugging into a PA, and I was never stoked, I would like plug my guitar into the PA and just be kind of bummed on it. So so there was a lot of back and forth for me trying to get comfortable with that. Right. And uh, eventually it kind of, so the other thing I did when I wasn't, I wasn't making money from music yet. Right. I was just, right. you know how it goes. I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, we all know. Yeah, totally. So, but what I did was the, the town I was from, Sergio, there was a, uh, the luthery shop, you know, where they did the guitar repairs and they built guitars and stuff down in town. Um, they had an opening for an apprentice, and so I went in there uh, just to connect, because I used to hang out there a lot. When I was in high school, I would go there after school a lot right. and do odd jobs for them so that I could hang out when the guys would come pick their guitars up from getting worked on. They would always try them out, you know, make sure the setup was good. Right. And then I was probably like the annoying kid, like, oh, how you do that? Like, like you know, like,
0: that's, so, a, that's a way to learn. Yeah, it.
1: totally. So I did that a bunch, you know. It was just right there in town. Was on my way home from school. Anyhow, so so I knew the guy pretty well who in the shop and he was like yeah like do you, you want to check out this I have an opening for an apprenticeship and again it paid horribly but I was living in my parents house for a minute trying to get my feet footing you know and and uh, so but it turned out to be a great thing because I, I he, he basically taught me how to like do so much on guitars and repair and build and set necks and refret and make nuts and saddles and all that kind of stuff um, So then as I was in, fast forward now a little bit, as we're kind of getting our music thing going, and I'm still doing that apprenticeship, we're starting our band, and I was trying to get the whole thing to work for me, like, we were doing a lot of this acoustic kind of trio music, but it was like in loud bars, and so I was like, every time my acoustic was just feeding back a lot, you know, Right. so it just all kind of evolved out of that, and... Um, now it's like it's the only instrument I play oddly and it's like it's total. it's set up interestingly it's, it's, I put like electric pickups in it and all that kind of stuff but I've got like the heavy acoustic strings because I love how that feels like I gotta work when I wanna bend I gotta I gotta work hard right um, and, and part of the key for me is I use I use like a tube guitar amp like I'm really into like kind of vintage style tube amps so it's kind of becomes this hybrid but it's actually much more of an electric thing in a way even though it's an acoustic guitar. It's like an acoustic guitar that's being treated as an electric. Right on,
0: so then, like when you play with Kimok or other people, that there's other electric guitars on stage. Yeah. Is it hard to
1: integrate into no, that? or see, does what Does up setup I like, make it easier? Yeah, what I like about it is that it's it's almost like... uh, it, What it's almost like is like, you know, an arch-top guitar, but it's a flat-top guitar, right? It's like... But it's almost akin to that. And what I like is it doesn't... It's like, it's like an electric-type sound, but it doesn't sound like a Strat. It doesn't sound like a Les Paul, it doesn't sound like a 5 it's like its own little version of it. And so I really like, a lot of times when I'm playing with a lot of guitar players, one of the things I really like about it is that it's kind of like, it's kind of got its own lane.
0: Uh, I was, I was going to ask you this before, and I guess you kind of answered it because the way you have the guitar set up, but getting into the dead's music. Being an acoustic player, did the acoustic stuff appeal to you more than the electric? But I'm guessing
1: no. No, it actually didn't. It, yeah. That's funny. I know. Yeah, it was like the electric stuff kind of is what pulled me in in a way first. Right. I mean, it all kind of did because it was all happening at once. But definitely, like, I definitely end up doing those types of roles like electric guitar player because that guitar, it's kind of amazing. I'm still kind of mystified by my by my. I'm mystified still by it because it, you can rage on it like it'll it'll. You can turn the heat up on it and it and there's so part of it in that body there's so much resonance because there's so many frequencies happening in it right that the notes will really like they can scream
0: it was cool listening last night i sat out right kind of in front of those in the seats over here mm-hmm. on that side and and listening and at one point all three of you were playing acoustic guitars yeah. and you got the, the low end like line being laid down yeah, yeah, almost like tapping on the stage. yeah 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 and then your guitar and Nat's guitar mm-hmm. couldn't have been m- any more different yeah, than they were. This totally. is just that pure, wholesome, warm acoustic. Yeah, tone. he's going the for traditional that traditional acoustic totally. tone as you can get. Mm-hmm. And then yours is screaming with a lot more high end. Yeah,
1: totally. Yeah, no, that's I, and again, it's kind of one of the things I like. I love thinking of music in those palettes. That's one of the things that the Grateful Dead did so well. Like with that, I think like with that, their ensemble, like they 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 they, they really put their palette together well yeah. i think that's one of the things like young musicians like you probably noticed this when you were a kid like like they don't get like especially guitar young guitar players they like you know get this guitar and this amp and they're messing around at home and they get this beautiful full range sound they got all the low end all the high yeah. end all the mids and then everyone does that and you go to play together in a band it just sounds like shit because you got to like carve things into lanes and then and then everything as a whole it's beautiful and it's got a full range thing right but it's not uh it's not on top of each other and you can hear everything and and for
0: me i'm a couple like i said i'm a couple years older than you and you mentioned some but my teenage bar mitzvah year bands yeah. were playing Van Halen yeah. and Rush and Journey so yeah. every every 13 year old had a distortion pedal yeah totally totally. You know, totally. they totally. Don't know how to control it yeah they not know how to control it's just all like <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's all, all white the, the day, smell my mom turn that down yeah rack totally, rack <laughs> totally. Um, you also play pedal steel yeah huh totally as you're getting into the dead and the players when did you become aware, aware that Garcia also played pedal steel um,
1: you know that's interesting I feel like my awareness of that came when I heard teacher children someone told me it was Garcia so and did. this was again before I was really it was when you know the Grateful Dead was one of the musics around right. me. you know it wasn't like I wasn't as immersed in it um, uh, but I knew that and I was like oh wow cool I, didn't, I was like wow because that's like a, one of the most classic steel right. parts ever um, and it, it blew my mind, of course. And, and then he, I kind of only
0: been playing it for like three months. Yeah, I know it's amazing. And it's the first take.
1: I know, and it's like, and it's so good. It's so well played. You know, again, I feel like his feel comes through. That's like a whole other subject. Um, but, but with the steel thing, I think um, the reason I I don't know why I first so so my, I know my first steel I got a lap steel from that guy that I apprenticed with back when I was in uh, high school. I I you remember that that movie. Um, well, I guess this would have been when I was in, like, maybe junior high. I don't remember when it came out, but the movie uh, La Bamba.
0: Yeah, of course. Yeah, of
1: course. We all saw it. And at the very end, when when he, the plane crashes, and it goes back to his mom. Yeah. And the she's wah, wah, listening to the radio. Wah, wah, yes. Wah, wah. Yeah. The The wah, wah, sleepwalk. Wah, 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 yeah. And they're like, we have sad news that, you know, yeah. he's passed away. Yeah and richie she screams
0: and My Richie. Yep.
1: yeah uh i just was like i still get chills right now thinking about it. um that i was like what is that you know so and i was talking to the guy i apprenticed with um because i knew he was into country music and i knew it had something to do with that even though that wasn't a country song and he was like oh man i get i got a bunch of that stuff you know again he he owned a. a, a you know guitar repair shop so he had a bunch of like abandoned instruments so he had right. this old recording king lap steel and he's like you can just you can have it so he gave that to me in high school and i always kind of messed around with it but it wasn't a major thing for me and then uh but i always used it and it's on like alo albums even our like super early demos Did you ever take like a deep dive into garcia's playing so i eventually so then what happened was uh around god it would have been maybe around 2012 or somewhere around there I started really wanting to get into pedal steel um, and the stuff I was really drawn to was kind of a lot of like the Bakersfield country stuff um, which again this is that parallel thing where I was I got really into like Buck Owens and Merle Haggard and all that kind of stuff and again the dead was a thing I, was, I actually didn't realize they did that music too yeah. right I just got into it and I and we started a band called Broke Down in Bakersfield uh, which was me and then uh, Steve Adams the bass player from ALO and Dave Brogan the drummer and then uh, Nikki Bloom and Tim Bloom. Yeah, sure. And Scott Law. And it was really founded on... It was, we actually started at High Sierra Music Festival. They have these play shops right. there, you know. And, uh, and a lot of times I'll put something together for a play shop. And, and we're all, you know, Bay Area people. So we, we all were, were in our bands playing our music. But talking about our... That was one of the things we always connect on was our love of that, of that, of country music. But specifically the Bakersfield stuff, which was much more stripped down generally than the Nashville stuff. Right. You know, more like bands, like Buck had his band and Merle had his band and they would go into the studio a lot of times with their bands and you know, they, they would do overdubs but it tended to be lighter than right. the, the real thick stuff. So so we all talk about how we love that and then we're like, well, let's do this band for this play shop and then we did it and it was like, we had so much fun. So then for the next year, year and a half, we would book tours with that band anytime we could line up a little break and that's kind of where I learned to play steel because it was, and we did the songs pretty like to the book so right. it was every tune was like you know like a like a a, a two measure steel guitar intro and right. then the solos were it's like you know four measure steel guitar four measure guitar or things like we had a, a few tunes we jammed out but we really tried to keep it pretty pretty tight and it, it was a great couple of years because i learned a lot and then that kind of went it's, as i started getting into it and especially learning about the kind of bay area uh steel lineage um, all the Jerry stuff came up and, and a nice full, full circle moment that comes from that was, uh, you know, ALO's on brush records. We're good friends with Jack Johnson, you know, right. singer songwriters. So that's kind of, that's kind of like our Santa Barbara scene, you know? Um, and you know, he plays big giant places and we were doing a fire benefit when the big fires happened, um, back at, Hey, thanks. Awesome. Just been delivered through. some watermelon. Thank you. <laughs> Perfect for the <laughs> tropics. <laughs> Thanks, Bo. Awesome. Um, we were we were doing a, a fire benefit down in Santa Barbara for those bad fires they had a few years ago. I don't know if you remember those. They no, had I fires, heard, yeah. and then some months later, that rain and, and all the all the mudslides mud happened. Right. Yeah. So, um, and we do a lot with Jack. And we heard about that. And Santa Barbara is a part of our community, so it's down in the Santa Barbara County Bowl, which is a beautiful venue. Have you ever seen it? No. It's uh it's where there's a really famous Bob Marley. Video you might have yeah, seen yeah, from yeah. there, I, I, I do know and uh, Joni Mitchell's uh, "Shadows and Light" mm-hmm. with the band with like Jocko and and yeah. Michael Brecker and Matheny and all them. That's from yeah, me. I
0: know exactly. But, yeah, okay. so
1: you're there. Yeah, so we're there, and it was Jack put it together. It was awesome. It was and it was all the Santa Barbara people, which were like uh, Kenny Loggins was there and David Crosby was there, of course. And so we're there, and we, ALO was playing a set, and all the bands were kind of doing a set, and all those guys were just going to kind of sit in in a group set. And I'd never met any of them before. But of course I know Jack well. And then, you know, in typical format, you know, no one was tripping. They're like, we're gonna just figure out some stuff. There's just gonna happen to be thousands of people watching be it. A head <laughs> we'll figure it out. So Soundcheck, they're like talking tunes and uh and Jack was like, Oh, can you can you come down and, and join on some guitar and some maybe he didn't even say steel, but I kinda had it in my back of my mind. And then of course David Crosby was like, Yeah, we could try teacher children. And so him and I was like I'm ready for this. That's <laughs> so awesome. I was like, I know this one. So it was awesome. And, uh, and it was awesome because it was actually uh, him and Kenny Loggins and Jack. They did all the harmonies. And, and Kenny did great. Awesome. Yeah. That's and then so I did cool, all this too. Man. And it was just one of those things where, like, it was almost good. I didn't know I was going to do it until, like, an hour before the show because I probably would have psyched myself out. Right. But <laughs> suddenly I was there and it was happening and they kicked it off. And I knew oh, they didn't have feeling, to tell man. me. Yeah, it was that awesome. Must have been so yeah, we did cool. that. The other kind of fun song not to the same extent but that was kind of cool just from childhood it was a uh, uh, Danny song even really? though we ain't yeah. got money because like, kenny loggins was there just just tunes from your childhood past it's fun playing stuff like that with those people when you hear like the real voice on it yeah it's like oh
0: <laughs> you were talking about la bamba and you know yeah. All that's los lobos yeah totally one of my all-time favorite bands awesome. since like 85 before yeah. la bamba came out yeah you know and now mm. i get to play with them we had them down here yeah. a few years back and i played awesome. every note of the week with them so,
1: they're so great
0: and playing that music that i wore those cassettes out yeah in 78 thunderbird driving around yeah and getting to play it with the real voice it's,
1: it's the best feeling. it totally takes it to another i know what Hell you mean yeah, man. Totally, i know that always is like a it's a special thing and of course that happens with any of the dead the grateful dead people to like to the highest level you know yeah man that's what i always loved about my first time playing with phil too because I, I was familiar with this the sounds and everything, but again like i said i was still learning some of these tunes how did it come about
0: because we're gonna jump around oh I was coming later appreciate so let's go there. This.
1: how did it come about that you ended up with him just cause well you're on the subject the of bar mitzvahs yeah <laughs> actually um so i met ross james mm-hmm. at mountain jam um and this would have been i guess in maybe it would have been the summer of 2013 i guess um yeah, it was the summer of 2015. I mean, really a newbie to the Dead It yeah, totally which is so crazy yeah. growing
0: up in San Francisco. I know it's
1: wild, but there are all these little parallel scenes. I was kind of like that acid jazz scene there was kind of like a lot of where I was bubbling it around. And then the jam scene too. But right. it's just yeah, it's totally bizarre, right? So I know I'm kind meet, of surprised too. So you meet Ross. And so I met Ross there and uh, we got to talking and then he, he we we both knew each other were from the Bay Area, you know. And I saw he was, you know, doing stuff with a uh, Phil and I don't think they I don't know if they called it the family band yet, but it was some, you know, they were right. in, he was in the circle there and he was kind of doing a lot of the stuff at Terrapin of like bringing, bringing, doing a lot of organizing actually. And he, we just got to talk on a side stage somewhere that uh, someone introduced us. I think Blakesburg actually might introduce us. Right Jay on. Blakesburg had introduced us. And, um, and he was like, Hey, you should come down and jam at Terrapin sometime. Just come down to come down and jam at the bar and i was like cool it sounds fun you know we're gonna be home got a got a week off you know a couple right. of weeks and and then it didn't happen actually it turned out i ended up with something out of town and he had something it didn't cross over and some months went by and then suddenly he uh he uh reached out one day said, like, "Oh, you want to come down and it was like tonight <laughs> it was like a last minute thing and i was like sure so i came down and just jammed with him and some of the other guys some of the other young guys who were right. playing there and we had like a great time like really you know Sometimes the jam sessions they can go either way, right? And it just turned into be a really fun one. And then the next day, I should back up too. I know that that Jay Blakesburg had been mentioning me around there too. Okay, like he had been mentioning my name because I've known him for years and he's shot stuff that I've done for years. So um, I don't. I think my name was kind of on the radar, you know. And played ALO, you know, we're playing places like the Fillmore and stuff. So you know, I'm on the, I'm on the radar in the Bay right, Area, right. regardless. Like we know of each other, you know. Um, we just our paths hadn't officially crossed yet so Ross calls me and he's like we're gonna we have decided to do a Passover Seder at Terrapin and he's like do you want to come come play guitar and I was like yeah that sounds really fun." he's like yeah and Phil's gonna be on it and I was like oh cool great so that'll be really fun and so so the first set I did with him it was but it was all these dead tunes that related to the Passover story Mm -hmm. so it was gonna be really cool which you know you can you can uh, draw meaning uh, especially you know you can be like real literal about it, but if you get kind of to the edges of metaphor and stuff there's almost I mean I'm not gonna say any song can work because some of them really don't work <laughs> you know like the Real Party ones maybe but even those ones but there's a lot of tunes that are just right up the center lane for that so so it ended up being a night of dead music and maybe we we mixed in some uh, Dylan probably too and you know I think we might even done harder they come because it talks of slaves you know and that kind of stuff but but it was great and it was just the funnest night and it was like yeah i just had so much fun and it was like going to what we were saying about hearing the sound when it wasn't until we just it was kind of like we got into the first jam and like hearing phil and like the way he plays it was just like oh that's that thing you know right it was so inspiring do you think and then so then he asks you to start playing some yeah and then it just it was all very natural i def it definitely was nothing i set out to do you know what i mean like it was nothing i set out to do uh it just started happening and then they just started calling me and being like you want to do this and then suddenly there was the Capitol theater run and uh he invited me it was like a halloween you know he does those halloween runs and there was one year where he did a a bunch of weekends in a row right it was a different group yeah so he brought me out for one of them um and then that was in the beginning i think and then uh and then they another week after that, they like added me to the last weekend too. And it was great. And suddenly I was getting to play with all these cool players that I admired and and this music. And I just was so again like since this the songs themselves to the actual process of learning them was new to me. It was such an inspiring time of uh personal work because I was getting to play this stuff, but then I was running home. It was like being a kid again. Like working on these tunes that would and it actually had like it wasn't just that i love the tunes but i had a re i, I needed yeah, to learn these tunes them for a purpose i needed to learn these <laughs> right. tunes. yeah i didn't want to i didn't want to make a fool of myself you know did he pretty much give you free reign to do what yeah. you wanted with him he was yeah totally and i feel like i feel like that's kind of where i've fallen into the scene a little bit um because there's sort of like different sides of the thing of the ways of approaching it and i tend to um i don't know maybe it, it's because I can't do anything else I just kind of do it the way I do it right so so I'm not always appropriate for all the shows to be honest like if, if like if they're doing when they were doing all the recreations that was around that time I was get, right. I was coming there I, I didn't oh, when he was get, doing a show from every year. Uh, yeah I, I didn't get time, necessarily but. called for those I'm more of like like I. you know what I mean I'm yeah. more like I play the tunes but I kind of I don't know how to explain. it, but You know what I mean? I do. He yeah. Actually, Baracko and Eaton did a couple of those on certain. Yeah, years. He had totally. Them come in and do some of those. Yeah, because it's and it's really specific, and it's cool to like know those specific. I don't kind of, maybe it's because I came to it later. I don't have that kind of specific knowledge of it. So that might be I, what's so appealing to him. Well, as well, I feel like that whenever he calls me, that's why he calls me because right. and a lot of times what I've noticed with him, he does a lot of things where I'll have um, a mix of people. Like I'll have a guy like Stu who like knows all that stuff like that in in that way and then he'll mix it with people who are necessarily not coming out of that right. from that realm and then it kind of makes a like a kind of melting pot of the whole thing and so i kind of indulge in that type of role and i you know I, in a way i don't try to do the other thing because i don't it's just, i just i don't know i don't think i can do it yeah, so it's that's like still, that's other people do that so well i'd rather just like do right. my thing and then where that fits in which it turns out has been a ton of opportunities to do it so it's awesome man. yeah I'm thankful for it you know
0: I hope you're enjoying this conversation and we're gonna get right back to it in just a moment but first I'd like to take a minute and tell you about Beth Kortz. She is a psychotherapist intuitive clarity coach and founder of the authenticity Academy for the past 12 years she has been supporting her clients to fully embody their authenticity and create the life they desire with her three-step clarity coaching program this is your time to gain clarity defining yourself by who you really are and not what you do. Increase your confidence by activating your inner powers and take soul-led action, creating a life in alignment with your purpose, passions, and desires. If you're ready to learn more, book a free 30-minute clarity call with Beth Koritz. Visit www.yourclarity.coach or the sponsor page of themusicplaystheband.net. Beth is looking forward to supporting you on your journey. And now, let's get back to our conversation with Lebo, Dan Lebowitz. I want to talk about songwriting for a moment. Yeah. So, obviously, with ALO and, and whatever else you might have been doing, you're writing and performing tunes mm-hmm. long before you discovered or at least got to know the, the dead yeah. and their music. Now you hear this whole canon of amazing, incredibly well written songs. Yeah. Um, does that exposure to Hunter and Barlow? affect your consciousness oh as you continue God, to write so songs? my so much. How I would so? say
1: that's one of, and that might even be we haven't even talked about that, right? Like the songwriting part of, discover, of really discovering and going deep in this music. I mean, it's so timeless, right? I mean, so like you keep coming back to it and then I find these tunes that I know them really well and then suddenly like a, a few years later I like hear this whole new thing in it. And yeah, like I'm really inspired by the songwriting. Also like, again, I feel like they really carved their own way with it. There's so many Like again, as you would know, there's so many unusual things that they do. Yeah. I mean, I really feel like in their process, they must have really let their ears guide them. You know what I mean? Not like, oh, I need a bridge now. Bridges go to the four chord. You know, that's cool too. We all do that a lot, right? But but there's always just has this weird little twist on so many of the tunes that I feel like you just get from like. Again, it's sort of like letting that flow happen, and I feel like the way they play must there must have been a. I haven't like really studied this or anything, but I feel like there must have been a a, a parallel with the songwriting of, the way things unfold. Just listening to you guys playing uh, playing in the band last night, and I was sitting there, I was like, wow, this is a, such a wild tune. It's so funny. Like the first times I heard it, I never even realized it was in ten because it just feels really natural. Right. And then you go to learn, and you're like, oh, this song's in ten, and like, and I love stuff like that where it's like this cool. Like complex, deep shit, but, but it's not like, I'm gonna uh, impress you now and be intellectual. No, it just feels really good. Right. It's like, elementally feels good to you, but it happens to be this deep intellectual shit. <laughs>
0: that's,
1: that's that's on the musical level. Yeah. What about on the lyrical level? Oh god, the lyrics are so, like, again, like, the range of Hunter's stuff from, like, god, the whole range, like, from some of the earliest ones, you know, you can have like the prettiest love song to like the most psychedelic i mean i remember the first time i i checked out the words to dark star it was like wow like these are so far out but they paint such a picture right and it and and not only do they paint a picture of this of this psychedelic imagery but it's like it's the zeitgeist of the of the moment they were written you know what i mean and then right after
0: that here's a song about a gambler
1: yeah exactly (laughs) and then like this beautiful song like ripple that's just this tender you know like the the sheer range of it and then it's the later stuff you know songs like black mighty river it gets me every time like the imagery and all that i just can't yeah it's and barlow too like they're like yeah that i mean in a way i think that's one of the things that ultimately for uh you know here we are we're still in the in the wake of it it's still pretty new music the thing i think 500 years from now I think those lyrics are going to be one of the things that really stand out in that music. It's already,
0: and it's happening more and more in recent years. This time, it's becoming part of the great American songbook. Yeah, totally. You totally. Get different kinds of bands interpreting yeah. the songs, whether it's instrumentally yeah. or with vocals, yeah, interpreting them different ways. Yeah. Here's a group doing some of these songs
1: in, in a jazz way. here's yeah. people doing them in a Latin way. Yeah, they way. fit in so many things because because yeah. this the 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 elements are so strong and so, again, I can kind of use that word but so singular that, yeah, you can put him in all these contexts. And a song I just thought of course too is like, like, Broke Down Palace is such a great example of that, of another song where you you hear it and you think it's just this kind of simple hymn that's of course beautiful lyrics you know, these beautiful lyrics, and then as you learn it you realize it's, like the whole form of the song is so interesting too, it's almost got like a, it relates to me to like the vaudeville music of like how they had like That whole first verse is sort of like an introduction. Yeah. And then it goes into the song. It's like in a whole different key. And again, the way they do it and the way that I feel like a big part of that is the words are so tender and kind of hold you so gently. And it just kind of carries you through like the different different key changes and stuff. And like, you know what I mean? So much music that's doing that. It's like it's so blatant, like trying to be like impressive. That's
0: one of those tunes for me. There's certain ones. I could play that song every night. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain ones that if I never had to play them again, it wouldn't be the worst thing in yeah. the world. But that's one that I could play every totally. night, and it's not because drumming-wise, there's nothing to it. Yeah, uh, people can't see me grabbing my chest, yeah. but it's an emotional thing. Yeah, totally. Well, that's I liked how you said it. It grabs you. Yeah, it's, it kind of holds cra- you. It yeah, you, man. totally. That's. I mean, that's, that's one of the things we
1: love about playing music too, right? Like, I think about that too. Like, I, I wonder if you relate, but like, I feel like I'm I'm just such a music fan. Right that like when i'm playing music and fortunately i get to play music i like so it's like i'm being a fan when i'm playing it too so it's like all those kind of those feelings happen on stage it's like and that's when your your eyes close and your smile
0: gets big and it's just
1: yeah it's real one of those real it's a real it's one Mm -hmm. of
0: those moments as as as, so as you i love what you have to say about those songs as you started to understand the song craft of the dead and really and you do obviously Mm -hmm. did you find any parallels in it to what you were already doing or how you were writing
1: yeah, I mean, uh, I related to aspects of that. Uh, c- uh, that's one of the things I like in, in music, again, is I I, I want to like write interesting stuff, but I never want it to be perceived as interesting overtly. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like what I was talking about, those things. Yeah, not man. that I don't want it. Sorry, it's not that I don't want it. To be, I do want it to be perceived as interesting. I just don't want that to be the first thing you take from it. Right. Like, I want it to feel good. I think in music one of my favorite things and this is like songwriting uh it's it's in hugely in playing uh but is like feel like like one's musical feel you know and it's i feel like that's sort of like it's like rhythm it's tone it's no choice it's all these things but it's certain aspect of all those things is is somebody's feel yeah and that's kind of my for me that's my favorite that's what I'm always I feel like I'm always trying to go for that with whatever I do to to have my authentic feel that to me feels good and that doesn't mean it's not edgy sometimes because edgy feels good too I love roller coasters you know right I love stuff like that you know different artists
0: playing together is really it's a trademark of the jam band scene oh yeah and like later today we're going to play together for the first time Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know so and you collaborate with so many people Mm -hmm. and some of it it's as an artist at large at a festival or or one-off with a new band like here tonight Uh or just a sit-in yeah in your mind what's the key to collaborating with people you might not play with all that often Mm -hmm. or have never played with like us later today what's the key to making that
1: work yeah i think the uh the, there's a bunch of little keys but to me the biggest one is listening you know like whenever I'm yeah whenever I'm sitting in and really when I, I think it's the key to good improvising um, yeah like just the, the idea of like listening first you know and part of that is from you know I've taken my my pl- like like I love playing right like I love playing guitar uh, it's super fun to me, but I've like taken that fun pretty seriously over yeah. over this last year since I was 13 or 14 and I started. You know, so so I'm comfortable enough on my instrument as you are, you know, like to where like I don't have to like l- really like plan out where a note is or a chord. Like I just know where it is. So the luxury of that, then I think, is what makes all the collaborations good, is because you can just listen and then react. Um, and I think that being in sort of agile mind is the key especially for me when sitting in with people it's like okay this is a band that, like if i'm sitting in with a band at a festival they got a thing going you know they wouldn't be even sometimes when i don't know people that well and a lot of times i know the band and i know their music and they have a thing so it's like they don't need me right right they're complete without me so i don't want to take anything away i just there's, find a place to add and a lot of times for me it's like starting out uh sparse you know mm-hmm. and like because we've all had that situation too where we've had people sit in with our bands and they come in hot and you could tell they're just not even listening they're just like they, they came and they're like oh it's my chance to get on stage and show off and it's like I you could, never ask that person back ever could again tell you some stories yeah we all got them <laughs> totally and I know, that's I'm the opposite I'd, I'd rather end up going up and not doing anything if I don't hear anything then I'll yeah. just go and like support you know but usually usually I most always hear something cool to do and it, like, it finds a good place for it
0: from my perspective of that if it's a drummer and you know if I go up and they don't hear it all I have to do is play a tambourine on two and four yeah and just stay out of totally.
1: the way. Totally. I then mean th- I th- yeah.
0: find a place where oh now Yeah I hear there's a there's an area where there could be some yeah. drum.
1: Yeah. Totally, totally. And and I would relate to you in that way too, because uh, guitar often there's a two and four element where bass is often having a one and three. Right. So that's another uh, key I think to sitting in with people, especially when or or even just being on stage when you don't know a song really well. So if your ears are good enough to hear your way around, which which you know our scene is. Um, and I feel comfortable with that. Like I can do that. Then it's like, I, I listen, a lot of times I listen to beat one mm-hmm. and what got played there. I know. Okay. Now I know where it's going, you know? Right. And so much of that you're probably doing though, not unconsciously, but subconsciously. Yes, very much so. Yeah. If you're doing it too consciously, you're not there. You're right. Over, yeah, you're Absolutely. overthinking it. Yeah. And that comes from the, like spending so many, you know, thousands and thousands of hours Playing along with records, or playing with other musicians, or right. just thinking about music. One of my favorite places to practice actually is like if I'm stuck in a traffic jam. Oh, I shit. Just start, yeah. I'll just like think of a line or, or something, and uh, uh, just play it on my guitar with my guitar not there. Because you know, like the instrument can distract <sighs> yeah. you from yeah. learning it. You know, like at least learning where things are. You, you're yeah. going you know to start to play the things you know. But yeah. when you're like forced to hear something, and all you got is the your your inner. Hearing of it, and mm-hmm. then to try to realize that without your instrument, you really gotta like figure out the intervals and the relationship of it.
0: That's so different than from what a percussionist or a drummer mm-hmm. would be doing, you know. Yeah. If I'm in that traffic jam, the steering wheel on the top of the dashboard, yeah, or making a yeah drum, totally a place. I have a surface to practice on. Thinking about like, it's air guitar.
1: Yeah, it's like air guitar, but like, but, like but, yeah, but real. Yeah, I feel like you actually kind of learn faster because, like I said, sometimes when the guitar's in your hand, you will you're learning, but you're also just falling into your like your comforts yeah it's really cool yeah it's like away from the instrument learning you know what goes with this too it's a it's on the subject but slightly different it's actually the best thing uh from playing with phil you know terrapin and and getting to do that a bunch of times like the my favorite advice i ever heard him give we were hanging out um after a show and i forget actually the context of of the discussion where it came from but um, and that's one of the things I really dig about playing with him he's such a uh, he's so like uh, uh, he's so heady and deep on music you know that, like those kind of music conversations I love I love doing those with him you know and one the, the most the best thing he ever said was he's like he, he said with this music meaning Grateful Dead music but I think it's it goes way beyond that it's like it's actually in a way like all music and it's life and everything but he's like he's like with this music we don't we don't try to put anything into it we try to have it pull something out of us. Awesome. And I I love that. It, to me, it's like the metaphor of life. Like, whenever you're trying to force something in, I mean, it works sometimes, but it's not nearly as cool as when you're just there and you're trying to just be an open vessel. And, and, and because of your life experience and all the, the music you've worked on, the things you've thought about in life, the experiences you have, if you can be in a place where the music can just pull that out of you, right. that's real and that's natural and that's that's like the high calling it's interesting that he that's coming from phil to you yeah some of the best
0: musical advice i ever got was from bobby Uh uh-huh and it's different but it's along that same line Mm -hmm. he said first time we ever played with him he walked in the door he goes let's have fun don't try and impress me yeah because i've gone out on stage and tried to impress people before
1: and made an ass out yeah, of yeah totally let's just go have fun be open hmm yeah just do your thing yeah Don't it's like think you're here it. because you have something to say or yeah. you wouldn't be here in the first place so so yeah. now you just need to get out get get out of your own like get out of the way right and like let it happen
0: <laughs> and now when I know there's certain people in the audience that might otherwise make me nervous or mm-hmm. I might want to show something I always think back to that.
1: Yeah, totally. Don't try and impress them because it's yeah. not going to work. It's not going to work, too. If you just it's be forced. yourself and stay open, then yeah. you might
0: impress them without trying. Exactly.
1: Yeah, that's man. totally... I love And I love that thought. And I feel like it, it goes into all of life, too, like all the situations yeah. of life. They're very wise men, these yeah, and yeah, totally, guys. Yeah, totally, totally. And that's the kind of aesthetic that I kind of even going back to what we were talking about, talking about a lot earlier. Those are the kinds of aesthetics that, that that's not... You know, that's not... Uh, that's not sugary you know what I mean that's yeah. but it is you know it's like I I, know, I I don't know if that wasn't clear what I was saying I'm just trying to say that's not that's not the the like hard roadmap but that's the sort of like uh, philosophical approach stuff that right. when I first was getting into Grateful Dead music I really re- relate when he articulated that to me it was like It was a bit of advice, but I was like, I get that. That's like no one's articulated that to me ever before. Right. But that is, it resonated with me so much. I was like, that's like I've never been able to say it in those words, but that's what I what I've been after my whole life. You know. And that's what, and
0: of course, it doesn't apply just to the Grateful Dead. It applies to other music too, but that's why, you know, the Grateful Dead's music is. uh, I don't even know how I'm gonna lose it if I try and explain it. It's special, yeah, totally. Yeah, and like you said earlier, it's it's unlike any other. Mm-hmm. But you just stay open to it, yeah. And and it happens on its own. It totally because does. It's not. I don't want to say it's not the most demanding music, from a musical standpoint. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The mental game is just as important. Yeah, but maybe not the mental. The spiritual game.
1: The spiritual game and the, the sort of. I know what you mean. The mental of just the sort of like inside That's of you. Almost yeah, almost
0: more. That finally got back to where I wanted to be. That's almost. It's equally, if not more important, than what the fingers are doing or what yes. the hands and feet are doing. Totally. You know, it's a. Yeah, and it's I know the, it's, it's like that it's, with it's, all music, of yeah. course, but it's different when you're playing a three-minute song that has like a yeah. eight-barred eight guitar solo, yeah. and when you're taking something and extrapolating it to a ten-minute thing. That's got to come from the heart. In it's got to
1: come from the heart, you and know? that's where I feel like the like somebody's feel really comes through. Like, how does it feel? Yeah. Right on, one man. of my lessons with that was early on early guitar, like when I first started and uh, someone hit me to that BB King album Live at the Regal mm-hmm. and I, I remember even way back then you know, I was like, you know, learning the solos from the record and everything, you know but I remember the thing that got me the most was when he would just go ping on one note and I was like, wow, like that that one note and it's not the note, it's just the root note, yeah. like anyone could play the root note and have it be like totally un, you know uneventful but it was like his feel to be able to way, inspire with yeah bands. the way he uh, uh, realized that one note that's awesome the right where it fell against the band and the dynamic of it and 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 the tone of it it was like that's that's like the best shit right there you know it, like it doesn't need to be fancy and although fancy can be great I was gonna say that's and not I to love say fancy. the prog
0: rock and the stuff totally. with a million
1: notes doesn't have it's totally. own merits Absolutely, but yeah. it's
0: spiritually is coming from a different place yeah. there's a different ethos yeah. behind that kind of music
1: Yeah, and I love it when again kind of going back to what we are saying I love it when you can you end up doing some like intellectually stimulating stuff but it's still it's like someone who wants to get intellectual can go down that path with it and see see that but at the same time someone else can just like get a, a satisfying feeling from it Right. and like they're both having a, a real legitimate experience with the same thing but in they're a totally having a different, different yeah, fashion and that's my favorite like it's sort of like the multi-layer stuff to it's me awesome. that's like the best
0: man this has been
1: great yeah, we could probably tough. do this all afternoon, <laughs> afternoon <laughs> man you got
0: to play a show. I know <laughs> we had a great talk about Paul Simon last night too know, which was yeah. really nice totally. um before I let you go though yeah. I do this with every guest okay it's a lightning round okay cool it's usually not very fast cuz uh-huh.
1: we start talking but we'll try yeah first grateful dead show For, it was it was at Shoreline and it would have been in uh it was 88 yeah 88 yeah okay favorite grateful dead show favorite grateful dead show i mean i didn't get to see that many right because i because i saw them over the summer with my folks uh, a few times and then i went down to santa barbara and i didn't see him for a couple years and then and then they were gone so um i had to have to say my first one oh, again awesome. it wasn't a musical thing per se it was just an eye-opening cultural thing which of course as we've been talking about for this whole last while it's it isn't just music it it's is this bigger. giant thing right so on, that hit me hard that time i told phil that too it's funny when i when i told him about my first show about how like like i like i you know the music was awesome but i just like i couldn't like like the whole scene was was just as impactful did just, he love that yeah he was that like he, and he said that he's like yep the circus came to town <laughs> It is a low baritone voice yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um studio recordings or live recordings of grateful dead yeah you know which one actually pops out to me a lot is uh, Althea, yeah. That that track from that record, like there's something about like the guitar tone on that and everything that just it's, interesting, it's, yeah. And there's a lot of stuff I love. I could I could as we talk more, you know, like I I love like the the Live Dead, you know, like That's like a, that for more that stuff one comes too. Up a lot. Yeah, which is like totally opposite of that, but right. just it, we're doing lightning rounds, so yeah. So I have the to favorite De- my first Let's thing
0: favorite Dead album then
1: favorite Dead album yeah. Terrapin Station Okay Favorite non-grateful dead album Non-grateful dead album That's an album in life Oh my god That's too hard It's lightning round I can't think about it uh, This, that, okay, this first is the thing, slowest question yeah. Of all Every time <laughs> First thing came to my mind The first thing that came to my mind I'll honor that Was uh, Wes Montgomery Smoking at the Half Night Alright man Like when I did this with Reed He goes yeah. Can I give you ten Yeah I'm like that yeah. I actually keep He used hard. to keep a list Of my desert island You yeah. know like And I, I have it's, it's a long list But you know when you say "Lightning Round," that's one of the ones. And I told come you what my to. Desert
0: Island Album was last night—the Paul Simon concert yeah. in '91. So, oh my God, totally! Yeah, you know? totally.
1: Uh, first job. First job. My first job was. My first job was was uh, when I was a kid, and it, <laughs> this is a weird job. It was a it was a, 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 a friend of mine. Uh, her mom had a friend who restored <laughs> antiques. And they did needed what? restored antiques. Okay. And it was like a summer job. She got a bunch of stuff in her travels and she needed someone to come just strip, uh, finish off it. That so I went and like, you know, I had like, like sandpaper and bleach and sat outside. And so I guess we stripped, could call finish a, off a off it a detarnisher.
0: Yeah,
3: I guess so. Yeah, <laughs> right basically it was just like <laughs> taking the
1: stuff down so she could restore it. Right on. You know? Uh, favorite color? Favorite color, black. Favorite venue to play? Favorite venue to play kind of have to say the Fillmore. It's like right. my hometown right. and it's it's the Fillmore, it's like to me it's the ultimate of like it's small enough to be intimate but it's big enough to be a thing. Yeah, man. And all of the legend and then, you know of course the Fillmore that we all play it was the original Fillmore but then it wasn't the Fillmore right. for many years but I still go back to those like first Fillmore years you know and yeah. every time I'm in there and, and for ALO we've done it so many times and I've you know done so many different events there that it always it always just rings true. My First yeah. Time playing the Fillmore, I had been in Dark Star for 10 days. I mm-hmm. uh,
0: just to like, How the hell did we get here? Yeah, don't you know, yeah. 10 to two weeks ago that day. I was playing
1: like in the window, yeah, in a little bar in St. Louis. It wasn't, it? I mean, it sounds great in and there, yeah, it was awesome. And the whole layout, the whole scene of it, yeah, yeah.
0: Uh, best
1: best city for a day off, best city for a day off, Tokyo.
0: Oh, yeah, man, for <laughs> sure.
1: Yeah, I love Japanese culture too. And in, in high school, they 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 uh, offered Japanese. Actually awesome. at my high school Because of Bay Area You know um, We had it a was, great day off In Tokyo That's yeah. an excellent
0: one
2: Yeah, yeah. so
1: I always love That culture I love the food So it's kind of like The most far out Compared to most places You're going to end woke up
0: woke up At like 4 in the morning To go to the fish market Yeah And see all the tuna Coming in And doing yeah. the auctions Had mm-hmm. sushi for breakfast At 7 a.m. Yeah. And was back in bed At 8 yeah, totally. for like three hours before we went out and hit the sea. Yeah, city.
1: totally. Tokyo. That's an the first person country. to answer really, with that yeah. one. That's no, great. I just—it's actually when people have asked some of my like favorite town to play that, it that sometimes comes fun. up. Uh, first car. First car was a diesel Volkswagen Rabbit. <laughs> Convertible, cabriolet. <laughs> nope. Okay. Standard. My folks. It was like the old family junker that was lying around. It was thought, my folks yeah. got it way back when the when the gas price thing went crazy back car. in the 70s so yeah it's so, so that you got just a line around in the back and so yeah the the, 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 the like h- crank for the uh window yep. had fallen off so you could only open one of the windows in the car put a vice grip on it yeah it, it was <laughs> totally yeah, it was, it was, yeah. Uh, current car current car is a honda odyssey me too oh really nice it's i love perfect. my honda odyssey. i know look at we're the same we, we got gear and we got kids I have my gear, my golf clubs, my hockey equipment. Check the kids' yeah. seats, and it still looks pretty cool. Yeah, they're, they're all
0: right, <laughs> yeah, man. Totally. I've have driven folks. I'm just gonna yeah. Doubt, I've been driving a minivan for about 25 years. Yeah, totally. That's all
1: I've ever done. I love it. Uh, book you're reading right now? Book I'm reading. I'm reading actually uh, the Jeff Tweedy. All right. Book on songwriting.
0: Awesome. Jeff from some of those too. Yeah, right?
1: it's great. It's great. The whole first half, he kind of just talks about his his process, and. Um, and it's really uh, entertaining. He speaks his uh, his language in the book. It's like he's hanging with you. Yeah. And then the whole back half is kind of like he talks about like uh, kind of getting more into... Like, like the first half is a little more maybe abstract. Still kind of some things do. but And then the second half is actually like try this and stuff. And it's it's just been really like That's fun. That's awesome.
0: I used to know Jeff really well. Oh, cool. I was
1: in a shitload of unsuccessful original bands mm-hmm.
0: that would do double bills with Uncle Tupelo.
1: Yeah. Back in the singles. Uh, oh, Cool, cool. So, um, yeah, I, I'll add one thing. I know it's a lightning round, but... No, this is, guy. this is this okay. is a normal. This yeah. is
0: a perfect length lightning round. This is how they go.
1: Okay, cool. Yeah, the other book that I I, I finished not too long ago. So I I love reading um, musician biographies of me too. You know, musicians I like. And this one was a little different because it was a producer biography, but it was Ted Templeman. It's in my room here. Oh, shit, it's you're not so reading it great. Right now. Yeah, it's so great. I love it. Beach yesterday
0: morning, really? reading that book. Isn't it great? Yeah, yeah. Jeff
1: gave it to me. Mattson read it. Ah, uh, cool. Handed it off to it's me. really fun, and it's all like his whole whole path with all that music and it's really pretty broad it's all that like you, like you know the I'm, doobie I'm brothers still early into it he's yeah. still recording feeling groovy and hating oh great it. yeah I mean, yeah and he started. makes such a transition to go from a guy who's like kind of on the path to be a to be a one-hit wonder to then pivot he was into smart this just from where i'm at he knew he wasn't gonna be good yeah though. totally
0: that's so funny but I'm he had the vision right now oh
1: you're gonna love it <laughs> it gets really good as it gets into into the 70s days and it gets pretty like excess 80s. I love That's it, man. XS. That's a perfect
0: ending to this interview yeah. right there. We drive Odysseys and I'm reading the book yeah, you just it's recommended. Really good. Well, awesome. hey, man, this has been so awesome. Thank you for yeah. taking so much time. Totally.
1: Great to, great to chat. And great great to setting sit. to do it. Yeah, and a great way to start the day. Right on. I'm yeah. going to be
0: on stage in an hour and then yeah. my day is over. Totally. Looking forward to playing together. Yeah, we'll day. be playing together later. It's going to be right fun. Right on, man. Everybody, thank you all for listening. That's Lebo. Uh, Dan Lebo hanging
1: out with us here in Jamaica. In Jamaica. Hey, maybe I'll see y'all somewhere sometime. Right on, man. <laughs> Take it easy. Yeah.
0: That was a really fun one for me. I hope you all enjoyed it as well. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode, and I'd like to thank Lebo for taking the time while we were kind of on our uh, our working vacation, if you will. I'd also like to thank my sponsors, Grateful Sweats, The Clean Store, and Beth Koritz at yourclarity.coach and of course the Pantheon Podcast Network for bringing me into their family. You can check out their 70-plus music-related podcasts at www.pantheonpodcasts.com. If you enjoyed the show and would like to support the cause, please consider a monthly Patreon subscription that offers some great bonus content every week, or you can show your love with a one-time contribution, and please remember that a portion of your contribution will go to the Rex Foundation. Get info about this and everything related to the podcast at our website, www.themusicplaystheband.net. Any love is much appreciated as we try and keep the show rolling along. The Music Plays the Band is produced by myself and the production and songwriting team of Brothers Lazaroff here in St. Louis, Missouri. You can find out more about them at www.brotherslazaroff.com. The opening and segue music you are hearing are remixes of portions of DSO drum segments that are produced by my drumming partner, Dino English. I'll be back again in two weeks with episode number 28 with my very special guest, Melvin Seals. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and please stay vigilant. We're trying to get back on the good side of all this, and it's really going to take an effort from all of us. Thanks for being here.